You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. Yeah. So I love, I love the church, um, God's church, and it's a privilege to be a part of it. It's a privilege to grow up in it. Um, I'm a pastor's kid. My wife is a pastor's kid. We are now raising pastor's kids, and um, it's been a lot of fun. Um, So sometimes as a pastor's kid, um, church is not always fun. And um, so you have to, like, find things that are fun about it and make things that are fun about it sometimes as a pastor's kid. And uh, one of my favorite things um, was when people would mess up in church or, like, say something incorrectly (laughs) or when somebody would cry, like, especially in the black church, okay? So uh, you get, like, an old church mother, and she's like, oh, Lord, (laughs) Jesus, I can't believe this happened this week. So, like, in the black church, a lot of times you have uh, what is called a prayer and praise time, okay? This is a time where it's just like open mic, okay? So, like, you just, like, anybody can come to the mic and pretty much say anything. Something they need prayer for, something they need praise for, or, or something to praise God for. And, man, we, there would be some funny stuff. Uh, me and my sisters would be sitting there laughing and, like, bumping each other um, when somebody would say something. But one of my favorite times in church was uh, when I was a kid, and there was this one lady. She always had the funniest stories during prayer and praise time. Uh, one time she said, thank God for Jesus. Uh, we thought that was hilarious. Uh, um, then there's another time where she witnessed one of her neighbor's houses catch on fire, which was not funny. But she was like, oh, Lord, it was blazing like a Christmas tree. <laughs> and me and my sisters, like, we would just die laughing. But one of our favorite times was one of the times when she read scripture. And um she was very confident that day. You would almost say overconfident, okay, and very happy that she was like an official part of the liturgy of that day and was going to read um, from the New Testament. So she gets up, opens up her Bible, and she's on Romans 8, you know, and you know how Romans 8 builds up. I, I'm assuming some of you know, some of you are new. Um, read Romans 8. It's a great um, um, part of the Bible. But it, it gives us all these promises of God, and, and, and it should um, evoke a lot of confidence in us. And so she's just building, you know, if, 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 you know what can separate us and nothing, not angels or demons or nothing can separate us from the love of God. And she finally gets to the part, she's like, and if God be for us, who can be a giant? And, <laughs> and then she closed her Bible and walked confidently off of the stage. Um, if you don't know that scripture, it is, if God is for us, who can be against us? Um, but she misread it. It said, who can be a giant? Um, man, as, as uh, entertained as I would be um, by the church, um, it is the place that I met Jesus. Um, I'll never forget being in a pew um, during a church service um, while Pastor Briscoe was preaching. Um, he's a big African-American man, looks like a big teddy bear. And he'd, he'd always say, ah, oh, Marcellus, how are you doing? His big, deep voice. 
Uh, he played the saxophone. He was actually pretty good. Um, he would hit solos like during the service sometimes. Um, but knew the word of God, um, articulated the gospel clearly. And um, I'll never forget the time um, sitting there with my mother in church. And for some reason, that Sunday, we didn't have children's church. So normally, they would send us down to the church basement, and we would do Bible lessons down there and play games and such. But this, this week, they had asked all the kids to stay upstairs. So I was in first grade, and I will never forget um, just hearing the gospel, hearing that God loved me, that God was the one that created me, and that my sin had offended God. And like my, my sin had offended his perfection and his holiness and that I deserve to die for my sins. I deserve to go to hell for my sins. Um, but Jesus died on the cross for my sins um, to forgive me um, and to forgive the debt that I owed God um, to rescue me from the righteous and just wrath of God um, and that I could be saved um, through faith in Jesus. And that message shook me, and I felt something in my heart, like something shifted, something moved. Um, I was really confused because my dad was out of town, and normally, like, all spiritual things in our house was, like, you know, with my dad. So, um, but I knew something was going on inside of me, like something that I had to make a decision. I had to take action on that day, and I was, it, it was really cool that the pastor, Pastor Briscoe, actually gave us the opportunity to um, respond to the message that he had just preached. So he actually asked for anybody that wanted to become a Christian and, and place their full identity into the identity of Christ um, to come down the aisle and to pray with him. And I was shook, man. I was like seven years old. And um, I just heard this message that was like, it was not only words that I was understanding, but it was also um, um, a feeling, something that was um, welling up inside of me that I had to respond to. And um, <clears throat> so I grabbed my mother's dress. I pulled her dress. I said, Mom, you know, I think I want to go upstairs, uh, up, um, up in front and pray and receive Jesus. And, and she said, that's, that's fine. And she walked me up there. And I'll never forget, Pastor Briscoe gave me a big hug, and he and another lady in the church walked me through the gospel again so that, I, so that I understood what they were talking about. And I just remember that day, and I wasn't like a super emotional kid. I would say, like, I'm a crier now, but, um, man, I remember just weeping as a little kid um, at what was going on in my heart. And um, people ask me a lot of times, like, man, when did you, when did you become saved or, or when, did, when did God um, change your heart? When did he transform you? And that was the moment when he did. And one of the ways that I know that he did was not only um, did I um, respond to him in faith, um, but I responded to him in worship. So I remember being seven years old, sitting in my windowsill in my, in my room that day by myself, and the sun was kind of shining in my face um, through the window, and I began to sing to God. And I just had this amazing feeling of, like, worshiping God and giving him my heart through song um, on that day. And I know that that's the day that God changed me, that God made me different, um, that he took my heart from death to life um, and made me alive. Um, my wife um, has had very similar experiences. She's a pastor's kid as well and talks about times when she would sit in a tree and pray to God and quote Bible verses and how she got saved at a very young age um, as well. 
And we pray the same thing for our kids. Actually, our oldest daughter um, received Jesus as her Savior last summer um, in a garden, in a beautiful garden in Kansas City, and that God would actually give us that moment. I, funny thing is, I was out of town speaking at a camp um, that week, and she, with her mother, um, received Jesus. So we pray for our kids often, not only that they would know Jesus and, and place all of their identity in his identity, um, but that they would follow him faithfully um, because uh, faith in Jesus is our only hope. Um, believers gathered together corporately to worship him and to seek him is the only hope um, that the world has. Um, and as you look at our world, as you look at politics, as you look at um, the entire world um, and everything that's going on, our only hope is in Jesus. And what's happening here, the church gathered together, what will happen all over the world tomorrow morning, um, the church gathered together is the only hope of the world. Um, and it's a miracle that it even happens, that um, God's church gathers together. So in Ephesians chapter 3, um, it says this, it says, um, Paul is saying, he says, of this gospel, he says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So not only did he meet Jesus by Jesus' power, but he was called to be a, a minister um, through the gift of God's grace, which was given to him by the working of God's power. Um, as Christians, we have to ask, is the world even going to take us seriously? Um, is there anything um, such as unity? Is there, is there love? Is there power? Like, is there, like, if there is no power available to you to change your life, to see the world change, like, there is no hope. Is there unity? Is there love? Is there power? He goes on to say um, in verse 8, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom, the deep wisdom, the many-layered wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Those are angels, those are demons, um, those are spiritual beings, longing, those are saints and martyrs longing to see the mystery of God, the plan of God unfold um, within time and space and history. It says this was according to the eternal purpose. We talked about that last night, God knowing before the beginning of time who you would be, your name, your family, your story him choosing you. He says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. I mean, what he's saying is, is that the church is the only answer. It's our only confidence. It's the only boldness that we have. And it is the manifestation of God's eternal purposes. 
um, as we are on our way to heaven. Like what you are experiencing is deeper than anything else that you can experience in this world. Um, as you read about um, Gettysburg and 150,000 men that met in the state of Pennsylvania to fight in a civil war, um, to bloody their bodies, to um, kill their fellow Americans over issues. Caught up in a cause that was greater than themselves, uh, where bands played music and roused emotion in young men to take part in a cause that is greater than themselves. Um, they have been trained. They were hardened. I mean, those guys were marching 35 miles through the middle of the night and then would fight a battle the next day. They had marched together. They had experienced camaraderie. They all ate the same crappy food. They all experienced hardship. They were all connected for a common cause of what they believed in. Um, as, as you get into like a locker room of athletes and to see them, to see a clock on the wall counting down to game time and you see them in those last few moments encouraging each other, speaking truth to each other. Hey, we're going to go out and do this. We're going to do this together. We can do this. Let's rally together. And they're caught up in a cause that is greater than themselves. Um, people will join cults. People will join gangs. People will sell their bodies. People will pursue all kinds of illicit pleasures to be a part of and to be caught up in something that is greater than themselves. But there is no greater cause than God's kingdom. There is nothing better to give your life to than God's church. And that manifests in all different ways as far as like what you're called to vocationally, um, what you're going to do with your life. I mean, there's recruiters that hit the University of Illinois campus that within your freshman year are already giving you a pathway of what you should give your life to and where you should go and where you should spend your energy. But what Paul is saying here is that the church is the manifestation of the depth of God's eternal purpose and his cause and what he is doing, and he wants you to be a part of it. And he wants it to be something that is of substance and of power. The only place that we find power is on our knees through prayer. Um, many people find that, like, man, I can find power. You like, you can start movements easily with divisiveness, um, especially in this culture of rage and outrage. It's so easy to gain an audience and to get on a soapbox and to get on a pedestal and to um, preach anti-vision to preach against another cause. Like, I'm a Republican that hates Democrats. I'm a Democrat that hates Republicans. And these are the issues, and these are the things that I will post on social media to get a rise out of you, to, to get you onto this cause. But those causes, and many of them notable and, and, and worthy and noble causes, are nothing in comparison to the power of God as we seek him in prayer and ask him to fuel us in pursuing the right causes, human flourishing for all people. 
He says in this prayer, as he's praying um, for the Ephesians, he says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, all the people that have given their lives to Jesus, have placed their full identity inside of his identity, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. It's easy to be divisive, but it's hard to live a life of love. It's easy to get on um, one side of the ticket, but it's hard to pray for people and to be rooted and grounded and have your identity rooted in the love of God. And that's not to say that like Christians are to be soft. Um, that's not to say that like you shouldn't fight hard in politics. It's not saying that you shouldn't fight hard for what you believe in. You should fight harder and get more blue in the face than anybody else as you're rooted and grounded in love. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everybody. It doesn't mean you have to hold hands and sing kumbaya. But when our hearts are rooted and grounded in the love of God, we'll have strength to comprehend his love and to make him known. Um, I stated that like Christianity hit the continent of Africa before slaves were brought to America. Um, and that's like, you can, read, you can read about that in the book of Acts. Black people didn't need to be brought to this country as slaves to learn the gospel. Although like some of your favorite preachers will say that. Um, yet what we endured in this country, our hearts many black people's hearts still responded to the gospel um, and have a strong tradition of black churches in America where we never should have taken on the religion of our masters. But what I would argue is that the Bible in, was written for those who are oppressed. And to understand the gospel and to understand God's justice, to understand redemptive history, to understand God's sovereignty and how he works in and through every, every situation, you see a strong tradition of the black church. Um, as I think about my grandparents responding to the gospel and my grandfather's life being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and passing that on um, to their children on my mother's side and my father's side. Uh, I'm overwhelmed 
um, by, by the love for God and the response to the power of the gospel. Because the gospel is not about America, and it's not about a slave master. It's about power. The power of God to change a life and the fact that there is no other power that will ever be able to match it. There's power in the gospel. When I think about the black church in America, it's easy to think about how people have criticized the theology of black preachers. And, oh, well, they're, you know, a lot of them are health and wealth, or they don't have a lot of good things to say, or most of them are pretty liberal in their th theology, which is not true. Most of them aren't. Some of them are. But then to think about how some of our best seminaries in our country didn't even start letting African Americans in until the 1970s. And even when they did, I mean, that's Liberty University, that's Dallas Theological Seminary. Tony Evans, he's probably 65 years old. He's my dad's age. He was the first African American to ever graduate from Dallas Theological Seminary. That's a shame. And he graduated, um, I want to say, in the 80s. And when in, in, in the 70s and 80s, when they started letting black folks even go to those seminaries, um, they immediately made rules that you can't date somebody of the opposite color. And if you're married and you come to that school, you have to be married to a black person. That's our country. And that's our religion. That's the, some of our best seminaries in this country. And the reason why I tell you that is not to like bring shame on American um, evangelicalism. The reason why I'm telling you that is because there's power in the gospel. That the gospel message um, will survive more than our country will, more than our beliefs, more than our personal preferences. And people are dying and they need you. They need you to preach the gospel to them clearly. They need to see the church disagreeing with each other, but still staying relationally connected to each other. They need to see a better picture of who God is through how we are as the church. Some of you haven't received Jesus as your Savior. You haven't placed your entire life inside of his life, and you're dying inside right now because you know that you don't have hope. And some of you like are a part of this church just for the friends and the music, and man, this is, a, this is a nice subculture within U of I for me to be a part of, and these people are nice to me, and they pursue me relationally. But God wants you, and he wants all of you. And not only does he want you, but he wants to give himself to you. The last thing I'll say is that there is actual power in prayer. So if you're not a Christian, if you are a Christian, I want you to hear this. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. There's power there for you to ask God tonight to do something in your life. And then I would challenge you to sit there for a minute and then ask him to do something bigger than the first thing you asked him to do. And then sit there for a minute and then think about, Lord, how could you do something even better than what I'm asking you to do right now? God, would you heal my family? God, would you heal my heart? Would you heal my wounds? Would you call my life to your purposes and to your kingdom. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And go through that prayer and let the Holy Spirit expand that prayer into bigger and bigger and more and more. You're not going to put God off by asking him for more or more. I'll never forget the first time I asked somebody for a really big financial gift in ministry. It was actually in Champaign, and um, I had recently taken over the FCA office um, there in Champaign, and I had goals, and I had to hire staff. So there was this one guy who had given um, like $12,000 the year before. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go to his office, I'm going to ask him to increase his gift. I'm going to ask him for $17,000. I go to his office, and as he invites me into his office, really nice leather, big desk, awards, the Lord prompted me, I want you to ask him for $25,000. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I sat there in his office, and I explained the ministry, and we're doing camps, and we're doing stuff at U of I campus, and we're doing this, and we're doing that, and da, da, da. And I was just hoping that you and your wife, this year, instead of giving $12,000, that you would give $25,000. And I swear, I couldn't get $25,000 all the way out of my mouth before he was like, yep, I'll do it. And I was like, oh, I'm like, that's like a car. Like, that's a lot of money. Um... But then, like, the Holy Spirit had just given me a confidence since that day to, like, ask big with people and to, like, know that, like, it's possible for those things to happen. Um, And the same thing is true in prayer. Like, God delights to give his children good gifts. And it's not all about, like, riches or prosperity, um, but it's about you communing with a father that loves you and finding out um, how open his hands are to you and how that brings him glory and makes him look beautiful um, as he blesses you. Ask him for a lot. As you're asking him to do abundantly more, bring your enemies and people that you disagree with into those prayers. Bring our country into those prayers. Bring our world into those prayers. Like with Hurricane Florence, it's not just like, Lord, oh, just keep these people safe and help them to stay afloat or, you know, whatever. But you're asking God, like, God, move in the power of your Holy Spirit to save people's hearts. God, change this community. 
God, make our country a different place through this calamity, through this situation. God, do something bigger in these people's lives. Save people from death. And you'll find in your prayer life yourself getting more and more specific and the answers becoming more and more abundant. Drag your enemies into those prayers. Drag the people that you disagree with, the roommate that you don't like, um, the, the person that has different political views than you do, and do more of that than you do um, social media. Let's pray together.